Two Columbia and Katie on 1019 News Talk STL. If you are watching on the cameras, you will see that we have uh, lots of folks over. We do. We have a lot, of, have company a lot of company this afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, including our good friend Ron Clutho, uh, who, of course, is part of the family here at News Talk STL. The show, formerly Stories of New Americans. Now it's Groovy Grooves. It's Saturday nights at 10 o'clock. Uh, Ron, before we get into the conversation, introduce our guests and all of that, um, uh, just tell the listeners about the about the change yeah. in the, in the show there and uh, the differences between um, Stories of New Americans and what you do now with Big Groups. Difference. Big yes. Um, I'm kind of putting Stories of New Americans on hiatus for a while. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've done 51 episodes in 51 countries and there's still 100 countries left, so <laughs> I'll come back to it. But I'm... I'm doing now what I really, really have wanted to do for a long time, and I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to do this. It's um, called Groovy Grooves, as you said, same time as the other show. Um, doing a look back to 70s music, pop culture, radio commercial jingles. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Okay. So I hope people will check it out. Um, again, it's called Groovy Grooves, 10 o'clock mm-hmm. when Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then check the pod, uh, the. Newstalkstl.com yeah, yep. website oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. or a connection to the we have a rumble page with um, archived episodes and anyway yeah you can still fun. go back and check out all the archived episodes of, of Stories of New Americans yeah. which I highly recommend you do mm-hmm. but also check out the new show yeah. which I was listening to I, I think last weekend or the weekend before and I was and I heard you play the song Gloria which of course has the big connection to the Saint to Saint oh yeah. Louis yeah. yeah. and I'm like oh it's Gloria and then I was like Wait a different minute. Language, That's a different language. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. believe it was the Italian yeah. version of Gloria. Oh my god. This was the original yeah. version. Oh wow. And so a lot of songs I, I that was a whole set of songs that um the the original version was not as popular as the version that we know, but that was the one that happened to be in another language. So I'm going to do a lot of Incredible. stuff like that. I played in another episode Bob Seger's song Old Time Rock and Roll in Estonian. Oh, you got to hear that one. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Um, but it, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm going to incorporate some international music, but it'll be a lot of stuff that people of my generation, not yours, but my generation would remember from their childhood. And yeah. Bring, I'm hoping, I'm promising a, at least one smile per episode. That's fantastic. It's a good promise. Well, it's every Saturday night at 10 o'clock. You can still check out Stories of New Americans on the, uh, the podcast. You can, you know, uh, all the shows are, are archived there. And then uh, check out the new show, Groovy Grooves, every Saturday night at 10 o'clock. And, Ron, of course, your uh, work with the refugee community in St. Louis is is ongoing and has been ongoing for decades. I know it's something that's important to you uh, still to this day to tell those stories and to get that type of information out. And that kind of leads us into our, our guest today. So introduce yes. uh, introduce us to your uh, to your guests. Okay. Well, I've got some more interesting people today. I, I've <laughs> I try to bring people that are more interesting than me to share their ministries, their stories. And so today I've got two representatives from Welcome Neighbor St. Louis, which is a group that assists refugees in St. Louis through a lot of direct personal contact. Um, Lindsay Spencer and Madeline Grusha, and I'm going to let Katie and Tony yeah. uh, pick their brains and find so, out what they do. Lindsay, uh, step up here first and, and, and you know, th- through conversations with Ron over the last year or so, I think a lot of us have learned just how much uh, the uh, the refugee or the uh, immigrant community 
influences our area, how, how big that community is in, in St. Louis. And so, um, um, all the more, reason for a group like yours welcome neighbor to be here to help sort of uh connect those refugee families with existing local uh, you know families that to help with that uh, uh integration into the community so uh, awesome what an uh, you know awesome service that you provide and uh tell us a little bit about that and and you know what you guys are all about there welcome neighbor. yes thank you so much thanks so much for having us here absolutely today. so we're always excited to talk about what we do at welcome neighbor stl um, we're an organization that's been around since about 2017 and we the program that madeline and i run is family partnering so it's that direct contact with new immigrant and refugee families that have arrived in st louis and we want them to feel welcomed and supported and know that people here are excited to have them join our community and our families. Um, so what we primarily do in our work is partner volunteer teams with new families that have resettled here in mm-hmm. St. Louis. So um, we are mostly working with Afghan and Syrian families at this point. Um, mm-hmm. We are not referred families necessarily from anyone, but it's a lot of word of mouth. And um, so we have the pleasure of getting to getting to meet some of yeah. our newest cool. arrivals. But we have families from all over the world coming to St. Louis all the time. We're so lucky to yeah. be a destination spot um, for resettlement. And and as we've talked with Ron about so many times, you know, we beat the dead horse with this, but I think it's important because typically when we talk about immigration in the news, we're always talking about the southern border. We're always talking about the problems at the southern border. And there are, and there, you know, big problems down there that need to be addressed. But the problem with that is also... It it interferes with the positive conversations and the people that are coming to this country legally and the groups that are helping them and the contributions that those people make to the community when they get here, when it's done the right way, the the the, the systematic way that it's that it's supposed to be done, and it's not a perfect system certainly, uh, but that whole conversation gets clouded out by the problems at the southern border, and I imagine that can be frustrating for for your group because as soon as somebody hears refugees or immigrants, they default to you know the political debate happening at the southern mm-hmm. border, and I would imagine mm-hmm. that can be frustrating. Yes, absolutely. The families that we are working with have been resettled uh, initially through the International Institute. So they've all come to the United States legally. And the families from Afghanistan that we're working with, I think we, we want to be very clear. These these people worked for the U.S. military when they were in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. oh my gosh. Um, so they were working side by side with our U.S. military. And they are now here because they cannot stay in Afghanistan for the safety. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, so what are the qualifications? Oh yeah, Madeline, come on up. You can step on up. Um, either one of you. Um, but Madeline, let's go Let's go with you first. What are the qualifications then whenever we're talking about having these families kind of integrate with other families? What Are there qualifications that people have to go through if they're here and resettling? And is it like a matchmaking kind of thing, random? How does that process work? I would say it's pretty random. So people initially will text us and say, okay. we have friends that are coming from Afghanistan or the family from Afghanistan will text and say, could you help us? We're here. We don't have a car. We don't know, wow. you know how to navigate St. Louis. The International Institute is responsible for resettlement for the first 90 days. And so they find the housing. They um, help them 
sign up for Medicaid and the work uh, authorization cards and um, the food stamps. So all that is in place in the first 90 days. But then officially they have to step back and help with the next, you know, families coming here. That's where Welcome Neighbor, that's our expertise. That's where we step in and say, we are here for you. Mm -hmm. We know that you left a lot of friends and family behind. We're here to be your friends, surrogate family. Um, We know you don't have a car. We know this culture is very weird for (laughs) all of you. Um, And so we are all- It's weird for us. (laughs) We're in our lives. (laughs) And so we like to invite- St. Louisans to, if you're frustrated with the climate politically, let's yeah. say, or if you're watching wars all over the world and you feel helpless, we have refugees in St. Louis that are eager to meet us. We may think we're helping them, but we promise all volunteers step away saying, that changed me. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that's our role is to be able to help them navigate this big city of ours and there's so much going on in St. Louis for them to learn to love because mm-hmm. so, I know they're sad. Yeah, so Madeline, people. getting back to the conversation you know, about the southern border we were just talking with Lindsay about, this is the kind of Converse, this is the this is the uplifting positive part of that story <clears throat> that I, I I'm glad that you're here I'm glad you know that 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 Ron is able to bring these kind of conversations to the radio station and to the you know to the broader public because this is the your organization Welcome Neighbor St. Louis and others that th- these are the organizations that need to be propped up and you know have people have awareness of the you know in, instead of all the negativity that's coming from the southern border do you know from um conversations with with refugees and immigrants from around the world if this type of organization what you're doing here in St. Louis exists in other cities because if not it needs to like where where does St. Louis rank as far as you know having it together and helping the the immigrants and refugees that are coming to this country when we initially started as a grassroots, we learned about an organization in Pittsburgh called Hello Neighbor. Mm. And so that was our model. Um, as far as how much this is happening around the country, it's a very good question. Yeah, you know, I, sure. I, I think it's happening. It's happening informally a lot of times. You know, synagogues and churches may meet a family and do this. But um, as far as this adopting a family, we have a commitment for a year for, for a, a team to help with the resettlement. But what we found is nobody wants to leave their family after yeah. a year. Yeah. Um, because yeah. they've developed a true. It's incredible. That's friendship. really cool. That's um, really cool. So, Lindsay, tell people about how they can learn more and maybe somebody's listening that wants to get involved. How can people um, uh, learn more about what you guys do at Welcome Neighbor, STL, and uh, uh, also maybe support the organization or get involved with you guys if if they're feeling uh, so inclined? Yeah, that would be outstanding. We're always looking for new volunteers. There's information on our website at welcomeneighborstl.org. Madeline and I have a one-hour Zoom orientation once a month. It's typically the second Wednesday of every month from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. where we give the history of Welcome Neighbor, what family partnering looks like. And then if folks are interested, there's um, other paperwork that we do after that. Um, This next month, uh, the second Wednesday is Valentine's Day, so we're going to be having it on the 15th instead. 
Um, but checking out our website, we also have other programs. We have an ESL program. We have a cooking cl- um, club where we do catering. Women from all of these different families that we work with in different countries do catering programs and That's make awesome. a lot of money. And it's yeah. delicious food. I mean, <laughs> yes, the supper club. So you can find out where our supper clubs are on our website. We have a calendar that our friend Zora updates regularly. And these are opportunities for people to purchase a meal. Sometimes it'll be hosted in a restaurant or a church or it'll be uh, a drive through event. But at these events, you'll have delicious food and often hear the story uh, from the chef about where they are from and how they ended up here in St. Louis oh, and so just cool. their experiences. Yeah. Wow. So it's fantastic. And then you meet a lot of people like you that love delicious food and <laughs> want to know more about our organization yeah. and these things. So and, website is great. And Ron, uh, b- before we run out of time, I want you to step up here again. I, I know that this is the conver- these conversations are ones that you have on a regular basis and have had on a regular basis for a long time but I think as we were as we were talking with Lindsay and Madeline about I think it's important to the general public to know that these organizations exist and that there are positive things happening with immigration and with people coming to this country again not just all the negativity that surrounds the southern border. So I think it's so is such an important thing to um, uh, um, to talk about. And it, it and in your in in your experience, um, how do you how do you feel right now about where we're at in this country when it comes to the immigration conversation? Or do we need to broaden it more and and have these you know and include these type of organizations in this yeah. in this conversation uh, rather than you know uh the the political focus that's on yeah the, i gosh i topic. i worked for i don't know 25 30 years in just kind of grunt level street level working with refugees who came here mm-hmm. and i honestly until the last 5 years or so i was kind of not even paying attention to the bigger political questions um but i you know as as lindsay and madeline said these are people that their organization serves are people that really you know, they kind of put their lives on the line for us, for mm-hmm. our military. They, a lot yeah. of them were interpreters. Yeah. We had the one guy, Haroon, here. Uh-huh. Yes. We, mm-hmm. Awesome he was guy. an example of that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they a lot of them are still stuck in Afghanistan and, you know, the Taliban's kind of looking for them. So yeah. I think in a way we owe it to them. Um, the, and, for sure. Yeah. So this organization is a great one because it's very grassroots. It started 2017 by Jessica Bueller, who just heard about, didn't even know we had refugees and became aware of them and just made awesome strides. And so it, and as also, as they said, it's, it's, we we're the welcome neighbor is not asking for a financial commitment. It's just sort of a a person to person, personal commitment. Yeah. Um, You know, visiting the families, maybe taking the kids at the park, not on a day like this, but when the weather, just helping people out. Yeah. Just making a friend and and you, you'll get it. You'll get back tenfold what you give yeah I think. so anyway i encourage people to check out their website yeah Lindsay, one more time the website social media all that all the the different ways that people can learn more or get involved yeah absolutely our website again is welcomeneighborstl.org and we do have an instagram and a facebook account as well and we're often posting to facebook needs that our families have but also the supper club opportunities and just great information about the families that we're working with yeah, so cool stuff. yeah that is Lindsay and madeline from welcome neighbor stl welcome neighbor stl.org to learn more about that organization and don't forget about the new show groovy grooves every saturday Woo-hoo! night at 10 o'clock Groovy. Here on News Talk STL with the great Ron Clutho. Ron, Lindsay, Madeline, thank you so much thank for your time this afternoon. Thank great you, guys. To see you. 
Have a great rest of your day, and we will dive back into some of the fallout from the Iowa caucuses last night uh, next here on Columbo and Katie on 1019 News Talk STL. For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Keyboards or something. That was really me, though. That was you doing it. Nope. Here it comes. Here it comes again. The talent is crazy, Ethan. It's nuts in here, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome back to Colombo and Katie on 1019 News This Talk is what I have to deal STL. with every day of my life. That's Katie Fitzpatrick. I'm Tony Colombo. Producer Ethan is in a studio with us as well. Big thanks again. To Lindsay and Madeline from Welcome Neighbor STL and our buddy Ron Clutho. Great conversation in that last segment. If you missed it or uh, if you just want to make sure you never miss anything that happens here on the show, make sure you're subscribed to the Columbo and Katie podcast. We put the show out as a podcast shortly after we get off the air every day. And we put it on every podcast platform. So whatever your favorite platform is, just make sure you subscribe to Columbo and Katie and you'll never miss anything that happens here on the show. All right. Um, Interesting report. I touched on this earlier. What candidate has been targeted by more attack ads than any other heading in to the primary election? So going into yesterday's Iowa caucus, what presidential candidate, either side of the aisle, do you think has had the most targeted negative campaign ads against them? I mean... I feel like the answer has to be Trump. The obvious answer is Donald Trump, right? Obvious. It's Ron DeSantis, and it's not even close. The Republican primary race has been underway for almost a year and has included large-scale attacks as candidates have jockeyed for uh, to Mm. close the gap between themselves and former President Donald Trump, who has maintained commanding lead in the polls. But despite... Trump's frontrunner status, he has not been the most targeted GOP candidate or the or the most targeted across the board. According to the Federal Election according to Federal Election Commission filings. So this is as official as you can get. Yeah. This is from the Federal Election Commission. DeSantis, Ron DeSantis has faced nearly $48 million in negative campaign ad attacks including mm. TV and radio ads. And just for some context, as I mentioned, it's not even close. Donald Trump and Nikki Haley have each had around $23 million spent against them. What the? And Joe Biden has had about $21 million in attack ads spent against him. So Biden, about $21 million in attack ads spent against him. Trump and Haley are about even at twenty, about $23 million. Ron DeSantis has had $48 million in negative attack ads spent against him. More than double. Why are they else. coming out of, after Meatball Ron? How about that? What are they doing? I mean, like, I honest to God, I'm like trying to figure out why was Ron. Did they think that he was just going to lead by so much at Maybe, the beginning of this? That I mean, it was. I would have never guessed this, but after reading this report and trying to make, like, get that. make sense of it, my guess is that. The anything that was pro-Trump would attack Ron DeSantis because he was Ron DeSantis was especially early on, you know, mm-hmm. in second place and considered to be the biggest threat to Donald Trump on the right. And for the other candidates, Nikki, all of them, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Viv- I mean, like not just Nikki Haley. I mean, now it's down to just Ron and Nikki. 
you know, vying for that second spot behind Trump. But for months, you know, it was a whole group of Republican candidates. My guess is that they all looked at Ron DeSantis as the person that they needed to replace in that second place spot. So he was getting attacked from Trump because he was the Mm -hmm. most serious challenger from Trump. And he was probably also getting attacked from all the other Republican candidates because they were the, you know, he was the one that they that had the target on his back that they wanted to take out of the race so they could move into that second place spot. That's just my, that's how I try to make sense of it. Because otherwise, like you said, when you think of negative campaign attacks, you'd think, oh, it's got to be Donald Trump. He's got to be the most targeted person when it comes to that. It's not even, it's Ron DeSantis and it's not even close. It's interesting to hear these numbers too, because A, I think that proves I think that proves how much of an impact that everyone believed Ron DeSantis was going to have. Well, and does it explain, we've talked a lot about, you and I have talked a lot about how Ron DeSantis like stumbled out of the game, how he never really got started. Well, does this make a little sense now? Like maybe this is, maybe it's, it's not all on Ron. I mean, I'm not saying he's run a great campaign because he hasn't, Mm -hmm. but maybe also because he's been, just constantly under fire from all sides. Maybe that has something to do with his, you know, the the poor performance. That so we've seen. that's interesting. And then B, what else is interesting is that I guess these people wouldn't go hard in the paint against Donald Trump because they need Trump's base in order to even try to win. So a Nikki Haley, a Ron, I mean, a Ron DeSantis obviously had attack ads against Donald Trump, but nobody else did because they know that they needed Trump's base in order to get even a fraction of the way there. And how are you going to siphon off people that love Trump away from Trump. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't make any sense. There would be, it would be a waste of time and money to do something like that when you're trying to gain those people's yeah. trust. Yeah. And, vote. and you're also just trying to get in the, into the public conversation. So instead of going that after Trump from for the very beginning. DeSantis. I know. I, it, I really like him a lot. That's that, nuts. That's really insane that he got attacked, attacked from all sides. Not more even, than double. More than more than twice as much. More than twice as much money has been spent on negative campaign ads against Ron DeSantis. More than double than Joe Biden or Donald Trump, who were presidents. I hope. <laughs> I hope that Ron DeSantis comes back in twenty twenty eight with a fierceness and a wonderful. I hope he does not give up. I think. Yeah. I hope this is the beginning for him, and he comes back with a wickedly It'll awesome campaign. It'll be very interesting to see because some candidates have survived, you know, losing in the primary and come back and had success later on down the line. I hope, and some just kind of get the stink on them <laughs> from losing. That'd be, that would be upsetting. It'll be interesting to see which uh, which happens to Ron DeSantis. Also, like uh, as Crane was alluding to earlier, you know, I don't see Ron DeSantis being a part of the Trump administration. But no, I've also seen Stranger Things. So, but I agree. I don't. See I would that. never rule it out. But I just don't personally see that. Mm-hmm. I don't see Trump wanting Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. and I don't see Ron DeSantis wanting to be yeah that, part that, of the Trump administration. That tie has been broken. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people running for president, Joe Manchin is going to be meeting the senator from West Virginia, going to be meeting with Joe Biden in the coming weeks to urge him to move to the center, to urge the president to move more to the middle. West Virginia senator and possible independent presidential candidate Joe Manchin said that he will meet with President Biden in the coming days to try to, quote, move him to the center 
a possible determining factor in whether he will enter the race for the White House. Manchin made these remarks at a private gathering in Connecticut, stressing the need for a return to civility in politics that is missing from the leadership of both major parties. Over the past year, Manchin has made no secret of the need for a third party in the form of no labels, an independent organization aiming to represent the interests of more centrist Republicans and Democrats. During Manchin's remarks, he indicated his relationship with the president has been fraught after he opposed many of Biden's spending initiatives and a plan to ditch the so-called filibuster. He also criticized Biden for turning the Democratic Party to the far left, giving politicians such as Vermont Socialist Senator Bernie Sanders an outsized role in shaping policy and regulatory appointments. Manchin said that he's going to meet with Biden soon and try to convince him to move to the center as the president prepares for a bitter 2024 presidential contest. In previous sit-downs, he says that he told Biden that he was, quote, just handing people money, referring to the massive stimulus programs the president pushed through Democrat-controlled Congress in the early years of his presidency. Manchin also said that during another meeting, Biden bragged that he, quote, appointed the most diverse administration in nation's history, to which Joe Manchin said that he reminded Biden that his picks may be racially diverse, but their politics are all similar in that most of them represent the far left of the party, and that is not the direction that Joe Manchin thinks that the party should be going. He hmm. thinks that they should mm-hmm. be appealing to the middle more. Manchin strongly suggested at this um, at this gathering that this meeting with the president will make his determination, make his decision if he's going to run for president as the no labels. On the no labels ticket as the no labels uh, party representative. In other words, if he can't, if he has this meeting and he doesn't think that Joe Biden's going to pull it more to the middle, if he thinks that Joe Biden's going to continue to push the country to the far progressive left, Joe Manchin's going to get in the race. I, uh, I say let's go. I don't know. I don't know that it's good for the country. I'm not saying that Joe Manchin's a great p- politician. I'm just saying. Bring it on because it's even more drama, nuttiness. Oh, totally. It's more drama, exactly. More drama. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to see it for that factor. Just throw another bunch of crazy into the mix. I would <laughs> love that. Log on the fire. But I think it's just going to be interesting to see how the Democrats navigate this because Joe Biden to me is the guinea pig, is the test run for going as far left as you can go because oh. he is not a moderate anymore. He is the first stage of going to a progressive left. Yeah. He. And I so, think he's on. I think he's a couple stages in. Sure, sure, but he's you know the yeah, the yeah. infancy stage of all of that. Whereas Joe Manchin seems like okay, I'm going to run possibly as a third party because I think that there's a lot of Democrats that feel the way that I feel and can be more moderate and more centrist. If Joe Manchin does get into the race, I definitely want to see it because of the chaos and the drama. But I also want to evaluate what happens with the Democrat Party because I don't necessarily know if that will be taken away from the Republicans. I think that we'll see oh. something. Yeah. I think we'll see a shift change in the Democrats. And that's what I'm going to be interested to see yeah. if he campaigns. I think he appeals to Democrats more than he does Republicans. I do think that there are a certain amount of Republicans that yeah. will vote for a Joe Manchin on a no labels ticket. Sure. Um, you know, they hate partic- Trump enough. Yeah. And- particularly the ones that, that, that don't like Trump's, you know, um, 
personality and the drama that comes along with Donald Trump. I think that he will he could peel off a few Republican voters in that regard. But how does it um, shape the Democrat Party? You know, it like how forces that... them back to the middle. It forces the Democrat Party to not pander to AOC and Bernie Sanders and Ilhan Omar. It forces them to come back to reality a little bit mm-hmm. because, yeah, because right now they're just as Joe as was mentioned in that article that Joe Manchin was talking about from his previous conversations that. Joe Manchin's upset with Biden for giving the, the those ex, extreme members of the party campaign, you know, like uh, committee appointments and power positions in in the party, like giving Bernie Sanders an outsized role in influencing policy that he hasn't had before. And I and that if the if if a guy like Joe Manchin gets in the race and he's getting any type of Polling, mm-hmm. you know, any type of mo- momentum, taking anything. All needs is a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, that will be a massive red flag to the Democratic Party that, whoa, we've gone too far. Yeah. Not that, I don't know why. I don't know how they could possibly need another red, f- how they need that. Right. Pans on fire bold that How bold that red flag alert needs to be that they've right. gone too far. But this that's, that's how it would, that's the most impact that it would have on the Democratic Party as a wake-up call that during a presidential gone year way too far to the left i think it'll be i think it'll be great for us to watch but man will it be a crumbling moment for the democrats if joe manchin even gains a oh, little yeah. bit if he gets in yeah in this meeting if joe biden and the democrats have any sense whatsoever they will try to convince him to not get in the race and try to appease him and you know, coming back to the middle a little bit to try to keep him out of the race because if he does get in, they're talking about Chris Christie is another person that could be a no big, labels, a big no labels candidate. Yeah, yeah. how about uh, a Joe Biden Chris Christie ticket? Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, it would be interesting. It would be interesting. Bring on the drama. That's what I say. Yeah, I I agree. <sighs> don't forget about our show coming up January twenty seventh. All tickets go to Thrive St. Louis. All proceeds for the tickets go to Thrive St. Louis. Um, Katie's band, uh, Katie and I's band, along with Mark Close's band from KC95 and our buddy Lenny Mink and a lot of our other St. Louis music friends and family members have a great party, great show coming your way January 27th at Westport Playhouse. Tickets are on sale now at the Westport Playhouse website, westportplay.com. Grab those tickets. And again, thanks to our sponsors, Weber Chevrolet and Gutter Pros. All proceeds go to Thrive STL. Get your tickets now and uh, don't go anywhere. O'Reilly Report next and then the Tim Jones and Chris Arp Show.